Learn to Mother, the incredible, emotional, and life-changing transformation we take when we go on our journey into motherhood. From all things conception to postpartum and parenthood, I will be talking with parents and hearing their stories of navigating these times while sharing helpful information along the way. Together, we'll be covering all stories, no matter how you have chosen to conceive, birth, or parent. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Maiden to Mother. Today, we are speaking with Megan. How are you going, Megan? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you live, what you do, who's in your family? Yep. So my name is Megan. I'm 33. I live in Melbourne with my husband, Marky. We have been together for 10 years and married for five next month. We have our beautiful 17-month-old daughter, Delilah, and our dog, Abby, who is Mm -hmm. nine. (laughs) I can't believe you guys have been married for five years. That's gone so quickly. So quickly. It really has. (laughs) So tell us about your conception with Delilah. Was Delilah planned? Yes, very much so. Um, So it's a bit of a long conception journey, but I was diagnosed with endometriosis and PCOS when I was about 18. Um, So when I was 20, I had my first laparoscopy. Uh, to remove my endo and then another five years later I had another one and so I always knew our journey wasn't going to be straightforward but I guess you still don't know what to expect until you start trying like you still have that mentality we'll just have sex once and it'll happen like Mm -hmm. so we started officially trying in June of 2019 Um, We'd been married for, I think, a year and a half at that point, and we were both like, okay, we're ready, let's let's start this. So I, as I said, I'd had two laparoscopies previously, and I wasn't happy with that gynaecologist. So I actually had sought out a new gynaecologist who was also a fertility specialist. Um, So I had my appointment in, I think, July or something. I just wanted to be checked out because... Um, I'd been off the pill for nearly two years and my cycle was ridiculous, like so irregular. And obviously I knew you need to have regular cycles to be able to ovulate and and track and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I just knew I need to get some help to find out what's going on. So pretty much as soon as we started trying, we were seeing a specialist so she ran some tests on both of us. Everything was fine with Marky. And it came back that I wasn't even ovulating, which is pretty common with PCOS. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I don't, you just don't know any of these things until yeah. you look into it, I guess. Um, so her first um, sort of thing we did was she put me on letrozole. Um, just a normal dose of letrozole and I had to have a blood test, I think halfway through my cycle to see if I'd ovulated. Does letrozole like force ovulation? Oh, sorry. Yes. It's an ovulation induction medication. Right. So you basically take it on days two to six of your cycle and within seven days you should ovulate. Mm -hmm. So I was doing like those ovulation um, tests as well and 
with PCOS, it's really common to get false positives with them. So it would sort of say I was at my peak and it's just because I think you always have like a LH surge with yeah. PCOS. So they're not accurate. So anyway, I had a blood test on cycle day 16 and it didn't work. I hadn't ovulated. So she's like, okay, next month we're going to double the dose. You just have to wait for your period and then we'll start again. So as I said, my cycles were so irregular. My period took like 45 days to come, which was like an eternity when you're waiting to start another (laughs) cycle. So then the next month we doubled the dose and that worked and I ovulated. So again, with the blood test, day 16 or whatever. So we did that, I think this would be, say, September of 2019. So we did September, October, November on the letrozole, but no pregnancy. Then in the December, she was like, okay, it's been five years since your last surgery. I think we're going to do another laparoscopy. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yep, let's go for it. So I did that just before Christmas and, yeah, she found a lot of endo, um, removed it, everything was fine. Um, The recovery was pretty hectic from that surgery. So it's meant to be day surgery, but I was actually in hospital for two days because it was, I just was, she found so much and I was just, it really didn't recover well. Mm. So then obviously New Year, we're like, cool, let's sort this out, 2020. So fast forward and February (laughs) of 2020, we Mm -hmm. actually fell pregnant. So we found out the start of March. We were so excited, um, but I just didn't feel anything. Like I remember saying to Marky, this just, I just don't feel anything. Like I've got no symptoms, nothing. Like I just, something's up, you know, we were like, you know, be positive, everything will be fine. So I went for my first scan at seven weeks and the doctor was like, no, you're only five and a half. Like, you know, something's, you're either too early with your dates or you're having what we call a missed miscarriage. And I just thought, well, I'm not wrong with my dates because we did, you know, all the testing and and that Mm. sort of stuff. So Anyway, we had to wait another week to have another scan. And yes, it turned out that I'd had a missed miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So it's also what they call a blighted ovum, I think is the term, which basically means there was a pregnancy sac, but nothing further developed. So the baby just stopped developing at five and a half weeks. Um, But my body hadn't recognised that yet, hence no bleeding, nothing like that. So... We opted to have a DNC, just being, you know, the thing, like she said, you can wait and see, wait for your body to pass it naturally, or you can choose the surgery. And, and we chose to have the surgery just to move on, I guess, yeah. without sounding too horrible. No. I just no. kind of wanted it to be over. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, How are you feeling? Because March 2020 was the very first COVID lockdown. Yes, well, I had to go into hospital April 2020, which was when the world ended, basically. Mm. So that was so hard because Marky had to drop me off at the door and pick me up in four hours. Like, he wasn't allowed into the hospital. Um, It's been like what it was. It was classified as emergency surgery, so it's not like I had to, you know, wait, which was good. Mm. Um, But, yeah, that was so hard. Um, 
so and you just I don't know going through something like that I just felt we were so far away from what we wanted like yeah the furthest point from where we wanted to be um but anyway I just tried to see the positive that well we fell pregnant quite easily after my surgery so after this you know we're going to do it again we're going to move on everything will be fine um and my gynecologist was so amazing like she obviously did the surgery and she was the same positive outlook you know you guys have done it once you'll do it again and everything will be fine the next time we're like okay so yeah fast forward we had may june july because she said again i want you to do another three rounds of letrozole before we move on to something else if that doesn't work mm-hmm. so that was our plan so may june and july did the letrozole and in july of 2020 our last month, like trying in inverted commas before moving on to the next step, we felt pregnant. And that was with Delilah. Oh, so exciting. So, yeah. So I guess from the start of that, like I found out I was pregnant on the Saturday night or something, rang my doctor Monday morning because we were meant to, our next step that she wanted us to try was to go down the IUI path. Yeah. Um. And so I rang her on the Monday and I was like, I'm pregnant. You can cancel the IUI. Like, Mm -hmm. but what do I do? Like, I don't want this to happen again. Is there something I can do to, you know, I know you can't avoid a miscarriage, but, you know, I was just like, what can we do to, you know, give this this one the best chance? Um, So she put me on progesterone pessaries, I think they're called, and just monitored me with a few HCG blood tests. And they were all fine. Everything was doubling as it should be. Um, Everything was great. Um, And I had all of the symptoms straight away. So be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Um, Pretty much four and a half weeks on the dot, I was sick, vomiting every day, all day. Um, Was that throughout? Yeah, until about 17 weeks it ended. Yeah. So, But I loved it. Like, I was like, this is yeah. fine. Like, my baby is so healthy. She's so strong. Bring on the vomiting. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> amazing how much you can learn to live with something as well. I know. It's like a constant hangover sometimes. It really was. <laughs> I just felt so, and I remember saying, I'm never drinking again when I'm not yeah. pregnant. Like, this is so bad. Um, but, yeah, it was, yeah, so everything was fine. Oh, that's beautiful. So how were you feeling then for the rest of your pregnancy? So, yeah, other than the sickness, which, as I said, I learned to love, the days where I wasn't quite sick, I was like, oh, no, what does this mean? Um, I was quite anxious that something was going to happen. Um, But my pregnancy overall was amazing. Like, she was so strong. She was... I didn't really get anything except the vomiting. I didn't yeah. really have any other symptoms, um, which was good. But, yeah, pregnancy as a whole, I loved it, loved every minute of it. Um, yeah, I mean, towards the end, as everyone would say, it gets hard to sleep mm. and move. But, yeah, yeah, amazing. What did you do in your pregnancy to prepare for birth? Honestly, nothing. Um, <laughs> so as well, because of lockdowns, there was no. Yeah, that's um, right. And because you're in Melbourne. 
we're you in guys Melbourne, like the, worst. the lockdown state of the world. There was <laughs> nothing you could do. Um, so my obstetrician who I chose, which I'll talk about later, yeah. she was doing some Zoom birth classes. So we did do one of those at, I don't know, 31 or 32 weeks or something mm-hmm. um, just on, you know, the laptop at home. We watched it in our lounge room. I think it was just hard to connect because we weren't there. I, I yeah. did find it just a lot of information and I was like, this is a bit overwhelming. I'm not really taking much in. And I listened to podcasts. Like I, I would listen to birth, other people's birthing stories and just try and take in what I could Um and I think my approach was just go with the flow. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. And so you said you um, you had an obstetrician. What model of care did you choose? And did you go through the public system or private? Uh, we went private. Um, yeah. I just, I had private cover with all of my history of everything. I've always had private cover. So we opted to go to our local private hospital, which was Peninsula Private. And there... I got to choose an obstetrician off their board kind of thing. Um, and I chose the most amazing obstetrician in the world. Her name's Natalie Elfingstone. And if anyone wants to look at her Instagram, it's so interesting. She shares birth stories on her Instagram. So, um, yeah, she was just basically an advocate for whatever I wanted to do. She would That's do. Um, yeah, she was really adaptable to everything um yeah just you can choose your entire birth and whatever you want to do she was really really good so I loved her I'll put um, her I'll get your her Instagram and I'll put it in um your show notes yeah just if people want to yeah look at her birth story she shares yeah birth stories and she's also started doing these maternal assisted cesareans which is really amazing she oh, when they when you pull your baby your yeah. own baby out yeah yes. that's so nice so amazing so yeah she's um yeah she was great loved her oh that's so good you don't often hear of an ob well like i don't really hear many stories of an ob being completely open to what the women like what the woman wants yeah true yep agree so yeah she was from that first appointment I think we started seeing her at 14 or 15 weeks and it was like what do you want in your birth what you know what's important to you what's not important to you um blah, blah, blah. and obviously you take her advice as well um but yeah she was just so accommodating she was amazing Mm. And how did you, I mean, you did say you wanted to go with the flow. Did you have any sort of indication as to what you would have liked to happen in your birth? Yes. So I actually opted to be induced, which um, listening to these podcasts, it's like people don't want to be induced. (laughs) But I, from before I was even pregnant, I wanted to be induced. I think I had more anxiety around the fact of going into spontaneous labour at home or at the shops or yeah. whatever, then actually going into labour. Absolutely. Um, and my husband's job, he he works like all over Melbourne. He could he could have been on the other side of the city, not able to answer his phone, and that was my fear that mm. I would call him and he wouldn't answer. And you know, in Melbourne, it could take three hours to get home from wherever you are with traffic. So I just, yeah, that's what worked best for us. We decided to be induced. Um, 
which yeah meant yeah I could pick my day uh, yeah. organize everything get like, ready go to the yeah, hospital exactly I mean obviously you can go into spontaneous labor at any yeah. time but that for me just took so much stress and anxiety off the whole labor side of things because I knew from the moment it starts I'm in the best place possible with you know all these doctors and midwives around to help um I think I had a bit of fear of something going wrong at home or just I don't know I just wanted to be induced so yeah yeah that's that's awesome that's what we picked and Natalie was fully supportive of that and her recommendation for an induction was 39 weeks was the sweet spot she used Mm -hmm. to say to me so I think I was just before 39 weeks I was induced cool all right well tell us all about it your birth story from the very start okay so yes we were booked in on the Thursday to be induced so we had to go to the hospital um the Wednesday before to have the water balloon put in um, so we had that Wednesday afternoon. Oh, you put they put in the folly balloon a week before. Uh, the day before, sorry. The day before. I was like, yeah. shit. No, no, no. <laughs> sorry, the <laughs> Wednesday, like as right. in the day before. Okay, yep. Yep, so we went in um, th- that afternoon, got the balloon put in and was just given a sleeping tablet and told go to bed and we'll wake you at 6am for your induction. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) So we, because we stayed in hospital that night, you could have gone home if you wanted to, but like we'd already organised our dog to be looked after and we had our bags packed. We were ready. We're like, no, no, Mm. just stay here now. Um, So then the next morning they woke me at six and we went into the birthing suite where Natalie met us and she took out the water balloon and broke my waters at the same time. And she We were all dilated from the yes, polling? She said I was already two to three centimetres, I think, oh, cool. um, from memory, uh, which was good. And then I was hooked up to the cytosin drip. Is that what it's called? Cytosin. Cytosin drip. Orbitosin. Yeah, um, so hooked up to that and they had to put a monitor across my belly to monitor my contractions and I think there was another one for Delilah's heart rate. So it started off pretty cruisy. Um, as I said, that was around 7, 7.30. Things sort of were so slow at the start, but about 10 a.m. it started to ramp up a little bit more um, and I started to really not be able to talk through the contractions and notice, okay, yep, this is a bit more intense. Um, so about 10 o'clock, I decided to try the gas because another thing with Natalie, I said, I don't want an epidural. I don't want any intervention, but also I've never done this before. So if in the moment I ask for an epidural, please don't deny me that and say, no, no, you said you didn't want it. I was like, just <laughs> let me go with the flow. So I tried the gas first and no one also told me how to use the gas. So I was just constantly sucking on this thing and then I passed out because I had too much. Oh. So again, no one to- no one tells you, just do it for the contractions. So I remember, yeah, the midwife and Marky were like, hello, wake up. Um, so then I was told just for the contractions, but I just didn't find it did anything and it made me really sick. I was vomiting from it. 
so I thought, nah, scrap that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to just go by myself. Um, and I was just, I was pretty much lying down the whole time. It, it was a little bit hard to move um, with all the cords and monitoring and stuff. Um, I pretty much just went from the bed to the toilet when I had to use the bathroom. And I sat on the ball for a little bit. I was kneeling on the floor trying to kind of get comfortable because they were really ramping up at this point. And I can't remember how close together they were, but it was about midday when my obstetrician came in to check on me. And I know they say you shouldn't ask to check how far dilated you are, but I wanted to know. And she checked me at midday and I was still only three centimetres. And I was like, this has really set me back mentally. Mm. Like, (laughs) I was like, okay. It's catch 22, hey. Like, you want to know. I'm hoping that it's going to be, and it's dilation isn't everything. And then once you hear that, that can just, yeah, really throw you off. Agree. So I think, yeah, if I went through it again, I probably wouldn't have asked. I'm not sure. Mm. But she did say my cervix was softening. But, yeah, had not dilated anymore. So I was like, okay, I think I want an epidural. And she was like, are you sure? You did say you didn't want one. I was like, yeah, I can't, like, this is getting really intense. And they were getting closer and closer together. I'm like, yeah, I want an epidural. So the anaesthetist was there pretty quickly um, and administered that. And all I kept saying to Natalie and Marky was, I just want to sleep. And they're like, you're in labour. You can't sleep. It's <laughs> like I'm tired. Um, I just want to lie. I just want to sleep for a bit and stop these contractions. Um, so I kind of did when the epidural kicked in. I did just relax for maybe forty five minutes. Like I couldn't really feel the contractions anymore. Like it was really good. Mm. Totally relaxed. Marky went and got some lunch and had a breather. And I was like, "You do you. I'm fine. Like you can go." Um. But it only really lasted about 45 minutes. And then my contractions ramped up all over again. But they got, like, worse and worse, like, worse than before the epidural. Really? Yeah. And I was like, like, it's only lasted, like, it was maybe an hour max. I was like, what is going on? Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is so intense. And the midwife's like, oh, you know, maybe your body's not reacting well to it or no one really gave, yeah no one really could give me an answer and I was like okay whatever because it was still obviously hooked in and everything fine and well that's the thing no one knew oh. this until the end it had fallen out which is what oh happened. right but no one someone checked that the first thing <laughs> seriously but anyway um because I was it was on my back I was lying on my left side and my midwife was facing me sort of thing so it was to my back and I guess she didn't see it but I mean wouldn't you walk around and look uh um, probably the first thing I'd do but anyways <laughs> yeah so it had, that's right it had fallen out so but at the time I didn't know that so I think mentally it was good to think I've got an epidural but it's not like I don't know I think mentally for me it was actually good (laughs) so um anyway contractions kept going on and on and on and we got to about three o'clock when I said to Marky because all day I just had my eyes closed all I was listening to was Marky and he learnt to read the machine that was hooked up to me, which was really helpful because he could tell me when a contraction was coming and when it was ending, which was really good. He's like, it's coming, it's coming. You can do, like just coaching me through it. You can do this. You're fine. 
and now it's it's ending it's ending don't worry so that was really really helpful Mm -hmm. um and it got to about yeah three o'clock I think and I was like I think I need to start pushing like I feel like I'm ready and the midwife was like really because three hours ago you were three centimeters like I think she found it a bit strange Mm. anyway she checked and I had fully dilated in that three hours so as much as the epidural didn't do much pain wise that 45 minutes to an hour completely relaxed me and my body dilated which yeah I think looking back before I had the epidural, every contraction, I was fighting it off. I wasn't tense. I I was so tense. I wasn't breathing properly through them and trying to just let my body do it. I was like almost fighting it off, like to stop it. I don't know. So I think, um, yeah, the epidural was really, really good to just relax my body and and let it do what it's meant to do. So, yeah, by three o'clock, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to start pushing. And I think I was in, is it called active labour at that point? Yeah. Um, for just under two hours. So, that was fine. Like, every contraction I would push, she would come down more. And then when you relax, she was going up again. So, that yeah. was going for about an hour, what it felt like anyway two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. <laughs> I kept saying, I was like, okay. Were you pushing on the bed? I was squeezing Marky's hand really, really hard. And I was, there was another midwife there that I was like, I was sort of on my side for most of it, which I did change in the end because I just wasn't getting the proper, uh, like my body wasn't able to push properly and, and do what it was meant to do in that position. But I was in too much pain to move, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I just, I just lied on my side and yeah, I was squeezing Marky's hand and I was pushing my foot against a midwife <laughs> with every contraction. And then I got to that phase where I can't do this anymore. Like I'm done. Just get her out. I'm over it. I don't want to do this anymore, which everyone goes through. Mm. And Natalie said to me, she's like, you're doing it. You can do it. Like, just keep going. And I was like, honestly, I can't just get her out. I'm over it. <laughs> and I'm like, can you get her out? And she's like, Megan, I can, but you don't want me to. Like, you want to do this. You can do it. Like, obviously, she's seen this a million times before. Yeah. And I said to her, I'm like, honestly, I can't. Like, you have to help me. Just, you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking she could do, but I just wanted her to help. And she said, all right, give me three more contractions, pushing as hard as you can. And if she's not out, I'll intervene. And I was like, deal. And at the same time, she looked at Marky and was like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> she's yeah. getting this baby out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, third contraction came. And then I ended up putting my legs in the stirrups in the end. Was That was so helpful. I should have done that from the start. And I was really, like, pushing through with every contraction, like, through my bottom sort of thing. And after that third contraction, I'm like, okay, get her out. She's like, I can't. She's too far. You've got to do it now. And I was like, damn you and your yeah. you know, mind, <laughs> mind games. But they definitely worked. <laughs> definitely worked. And anyway, so then a couple more pushes and her head was out, which we have this really funny photo of just her head sticking out. <laughs> and the rest of her is still inside. And she wasn't crying. So I said, I'm like, you know, why isn't she crying? And and my obstetrician was like, she doesn't know she's out yet. Like she was still in the sack or whatever mm. it's called. Oh, was she? She was born on call. So because 
she Delilah didn't know she was out. Like she was just this stunned mullet. The photo is so funny. And yes, yeah, because she wasn't crying or making a sound or anything. And then the next push was her shoulders. And then I pulled her out and put her onto my chest. And then she started crying straight away. So yeah, I think she must have been in her sack still. Yeah. Um, um and so, how did you feel in that moment? Amazing. Like mm. It's so much pain um, going through it and it's true. The second they're out, you're like, what pain? This is amazing. Like it was just the best feeling Um, and I didn't tear or anything like I had. And in the end, I had a pretty natural birth because the epidural really didn't do anything in the end. It had worn off by, say, 1 o'clock. So she was born at 10 to 5. So by that stage, I could feel my legs. I could feel everything. I could move everything. So um, I think it all worked out for the best because, it, yeah, it really enabled me to move my legs and push and use all my force and I could feel every single contraction and, yeah, so it all worked out for the best. Incredible. Yes. And what about your placenta then? How I, did you deliver that? I think it just came out. I don't really remember. Um, I think they gave me that injection. Yeah. And um, I do remember, like, I still had Delilah on my chest and I do rem- I don't even remember pushing, though. And they were like, oh, your placenta's out. And I was like, oh, is it? Like, I just, I don't even remember it. Um, but, yeah, I think it just sort of came out. Oh, wow. Mine was like I had to push it out. It was rank. Oh, right. I hated it. And the needle, I went through like a full unmedicated birth and then the needle that they gave me just stung like a bitch. Really? See, I can't remember any of that, (laughs) which like I was thinking that for this like for this podcast during my notes and I was like I don't rem- I remember like them saying push but it was the mm. easiest push after what I just yeah, pushed yeah. out <laughs> and yeah I think it yeah they must have given me the needle which again I don't remember feeling but I was hooked up to a lot the needle mm. for the drip was like a pencil it was yeah. so thick and I remember for, like that was first thing in the morning they're like this is gonna hurt and I was like mate, this is going to be nothing compared to labour. Just put yeah, it in, yeah. fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't remember um, it being an issue. Did you um, decide to do anything with your placenta? No, I was umming and ahhing about getting the tablets made up, um, but I, I think I'd left it too late. I remember looking into it like a week before my birth or something and you had to sort of organise it a bit before then and, book it all in. So no, I didn't end up doing anything with it. Um, probably if I had, um, if I went through birth again, I probably would do the tablets maybe. Mm. But no, I didn't do anything with it. I remember my obstetrician saying, what do you want me to do with this? And I was like, I don't know, put it in the bin. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need it. Thank you. <laughs> so being in a private hospital then were you able to stay a couple of days or yes so we stayed <clears throat> five or six nights in total because there was the night before yeah the birth that we stayed so we we checked in on the Wednesday and we left on the Monday afternoon yeah and what was it like being in hospital for those five first four days yeah loved it um yeah that was another reason we decided to go private. I just wanted that extra support being our first baby. 
um, we didn't overly know what we were doing. Um, and you, yeah, you just have midwives on call 24 seven um, to help with everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, we really, really liked it. And you know, all your meals are provided it, like coming home. I was like, Oh, Where's dinner? Like, yeah, we yeah. Had everything provided <laughs> for us. It was so We're easy. Both of you, so both of you obviously staying in like a yes. double room. Yes, we got a double room. So um, leading up to it, there was obviously with COVID, the rule was your birthing partner, like your husband or partner, whatever, can come in with you Um for the birth and to stay but if they leave they couldn't come back mm. but we were quite fortunate by april 2021 when delilah was born covid was kind of at a lull it was before yeah. the other big lockdown so you could have visitors to the hospital Marky could come and go um it was all really kind of back to normal for a brief period so we were lucky in that sense that um yeah we we got to stay and, and yes, I said, he could come and go and, and all of that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And how was your breastfeeding journey then? So that was a little bit difficult as well. Um, again, I planned to breastfeed from the start. I always knew I wanted to breastfeed. Um, my mum had, there was four of us and she breastfed all of us. So I just never thought there'd be any issues there thought it would go fine um and as soon as she was born the midwives helped place her on my chest and she latched straight away was feeding like a little champ it was all going great um and then I think it was the Saturday they had to check you know they run all these tests and everything or you're in hospital and they had to check her jaundice and it actually came back that she had quite high levels of jaundice so the midwife said to me, you have to basically flush it out over the next 24 hours. We're going to take another reading tomorrow. Um, but every three hours on the dot, you have to feed her. You have to wake her and feed her and, you know, try and flush out the jaundice, which was fine. But at that point, I didn't have any milk. Like it hadn't come, it doesn't really come in until day five. Mm. Um, so I did try, but another side effect I guess of having the jaundice is she was so lethargic and tired she just wanted to sleep all the time which sounds like a dream which it was but mm. she had to feed and every time I put her on she just within a asleep. minute she was asleep and she wasn't getting any milk so they came in in the next day took her levels again and they'd gone up even more and so they basically said to us, we have to put her under the lights in an incubator for 24 hours, which broke us. We just, like, I guess, weren't prepared for that. Um, and they wanted to take her to the nursery, but we were like, no way, she's not leaving our side. Bring the incubator in here, which they did. They were really good. Um, and with that, they said, you're going to need to pump because we need to monitor how much milk she's having. She had to have, I can't remember the number, maybe 30 mil, I think it was, every three hours on the dot. Mm. So I just sat in the corner of the room pumping 24-7 and I was barely getting a drop out. Like I just didn't have anything at this stage. And so... I remember the mid this beautiful midwife came up to me and she said, 
you need to sleep, you need to eat and you need to shower and relax or you're not going to create milk. You know, she's like, your body won't make milk when you're sitting there just pumping 24-7, you know, not drinking or eating or, and I was so stressed about everything. And she's like, we can give her formula. And I was like, what? I didn't think you could do that. Like I thought formula was this taboo thing. Mm. And she's like, no, like your baby's sick. We need to feed her. You can do a formula feed, which gives me six hours to sleep, recharge, try and pump again and, and see how I go. So I was really, really grateful for that advice because I think I put so much pressure on myself that I had yeah. to breastfeed this baby and it just wasn't working. So anyway, we did the formula feed. I slept, I ate, I relaxed, all of that stuff and kept going. But I think um, that really hindered our breastfeeding journey because Delilah, when she came out of the lights in 24 hours, she didn't want to latch, like she wanted the bottle. So Mm. it's like she became almost a lazy feeder and if I'd put her on the boob, she would scream and she wouldn't latch then when she was latching perfectly fine before I'd introduced the bottles. Um, so I ended up getting nipple shields, yeah. which kind of mimicked a bottle teat. But it was too hard for her to to suck the milk out. Like she was lazy at this point. She's like, no, mm. no, give it to Pour me it in the bottle. Yes. <laughs> Pour it into my mouth. lay back. Yeah. I don't want to work for it. Exactly. She was so lazy when it came to that. (laughs) So when we got home, I think my milk came in the Tuesday morning. So we got home on the Monday afternoon. Monday night was our first night at home. And the Tuesday morning I woke up, I was like, whoa, my milk's here. And so I had to – I did put her on the boob a lot. And our breastfeeding journey went until she was about four months old, which I was really proud of that because – yeah, we well had done. so many issues. Thank you. Um, and there were so many times I wanted to give up, but I just also wanted to give up but couldn't. It's mm. a weird sensation. Oh, trust me. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> I know exactly uh, what you mean. It's it's such a – I always say for something that's so natural, it's a really tough job breastfeeding. It is. It's drain. It's exhausting. It's draining. Yeah. Like it literally sucks the energy from you, I found. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that you look down and you love them and you're like, okay, I can't imagine not breastfeeding you. (laughs) Exactly. And I loved the bond. And I, I also know the benefits of breastfeeding. Obviously formula feeding is also perfectly fine, but I knew the benefits of breastfeeding as well, which I wanted to give her the best chance. Like obviously she was quite sick with her jaundice Mm. um, and I wanted to, you know, give her the best chance um, with that. So I remember saying in hospital, if I can make it to six weeks, I'm happy. And I made it to about yeah, 18 weeks. And so I was wrapped with that. Um, so, yeah, I was, as I said, I was pumping, breastfeeding and bottle feeding all at once, yep. which was really tiring. Mm. Um, every time <laughs> she slept, I sat on the pump, mm. which um, drained my life a little bit. Um, and then a midwife, like from the hospital, they would call and check on you every couple of weeks. And this, again, beautiful midwife said to me, you only have a newborn for seven weeks and you are so tired and so exhausted. Put down the pump. And she's like, and just drop it. She's like, do the breastfeeding and do the bottles and don't worry about the pump anymore. Like it's too much for you. And she was right. Like I was just 
like every night before bed, I had to pump. I had, like every time I woke up, I had to pump. And it's like, that's precious sleep I could be getting. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was about six weeks I stopped pumping altogether, which was good. And I would just breastfeed during the day because she wasn't taking much from it. I would never do it before as nighttime sleep or anything because she didn't last very long. Yeah. So I'd always give her a bottle before bed because I knew, all right, you've had 80 mils. I shouldn't hear from you for six hours. Like mm-hmm. you're good to go. <laughs> um, and she was a really, really good sleeper always. That's awesome. So, yeah, and then as I said, yeah, by 18 weeks, she Delilah just refused in the end. She hated it. So yeah. I knew we were done. Well, well done. Thank Good you. Good on you for getting to four months. That's a massive achievement. Yeah, when didn't think we'd do that, but yeah, yeah, I was absolutely. really proud of that. And how was the rest of your postpartum period when you got home from the hospital? Pretty fine. Um, so I didn't tear or have to have any stitches or anything like that. Um, so postpartum, I felt great. Like the hormones are pretty intense. I remember, yeah. I think they say that day three or day four day hormones. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when they told me she was going under lights and I cried for 24 hours straight. I was so upset. Mm. And I remember like, everyone was like, she's fine. She's going to be fine. And I knew she was going to be fine, but I just could not stop crying. I was so hormonal. Yeah. You can't help. It's a huge, huge hormonal crash. You literally oh, cannot help it. No matter cannot. how much you fight it. <laughs> yeah, it was really full on. And yeah, like just watching TV, I was a blubbering mess. I was like, <laughs> what is happening to me? Like, but it was pretty funny to laugh at. Um, but yeah, no, nah, after birth, I felt amazing. Like I hadn't even done it really. That's recovered so incredible. Well. Yeah, recovered pretty well, luckily. So we haven't had many <clears throat> um many women on the show birthing through private. Do you remember the cost associated with going through the private hospital and staying the five days and everything, roughly? Yes, I do. Um, So to stay in the hospital, all you have to do is pay your excess Mm -hmm. for your health cover, which mine was a $500 excess and the rest of it's included. So obviously I had to have top hospital cover though, which is where they get you. So you have to have top hospital to include pregnancy and birth. Yeah. Which is the most expensive, of course, they get to yes. that. Um, so obviously there's the monthly fees of having health insurance. And then, yeah, so it's $500 excess, which covers your entire stay in the hospital. So that was it. And then you had to pay for your obstetrician. So she's a private obstetrician, even though right. she works out of the private hospital, you still have to pay for her. So I think from memory, Natalie's fees were about four and a half grand. Mm. And then I got a couple of hundred back from Medicare. I think all in all, it cost us about five grand to go through the private system. So again, you think, oh, I pay my private cover. It's all free. It's definitely not. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They get you on every corner. But yeah, I think about five grand in total. Cool. That's pretty good for staying yeah. in a private hospital for five days. Yeah. And obviously, as I said, you get round the clock hair for five mm. full days, which is the t- especially being your first, we needed that. Like we yeah. needed the 
at, I remember at 4 a.m. I'd ring the bell and be like, um, she's breathing funny. Is this, is this right? They're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like just anything. She's making a weird noise. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like it was good rather than Googling everything. You just ask the midwives. So yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. But yeah, it is very expensive these days to have health yeah. cover. Um, and do you have a product that you could recommend to everyone that you used a lot? Yes. the It's called the Kakuna Baby. I've so, heard of that before. Yes. So it is a sleeping aid, I guess it's called, which obviously SIDS recommends they sleep on a flat surface on their back, which is fine, and that's what I was always going to do. But my sister-in-law had a baby nine months before me and she had brought a Kakuna baby for my nephew, Tommy, and he hated it. So she'd given it to me before I had Delilah and I just had it at home and I thought, I'm not going to use it. I don't want her to sleep in it, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, because she was in the incubator for 24 hours in a similar Kakuna babies type situation, like they're not flat in the incubator. Mm. So... Anyway, the first night we got home was a shit show. She would not sleep and she was sleeping so well in hospital. And I think it was about 3 a.m. I'm like, where's that Kakuna baby? I'm trying it. And I put her in it and she slept and didn't move for about six hours. And I thought, <laughs> I'm never taking you out of that again. And I loved it. Yeah, so she, it she sort of like has a strap that goes across their belly so they can't move and I found it quite safe obviously SIDS don't recommend it but I think it was an amazing product mm. and they can basically stay in that until they start rolling which Delilah didn't start rolling till she was six months so the first six months my baby slept eight hours straight every single night pretty much in the cocoon baby in the cocoon baby I did day and night sleeps days I dropped at about four months I started transitioning her to her cot um on the flat surface but yeah I got six months of her in that and it was a dream and I would definitely use it again the only downside was trying to get rid of it yeah <laughs> um that first night without it oh, I still remember that night um she woke every 30 minutes screaming um and Marky and I basically slept in shifts to you know, get her Look to settle. Her. Yeah. Um, and then she realised because she'd started rolling, so it wasn't safe for her to be in it anymore. Yeah. Um, but then she realised she could sleep on her tummy and now she's a tummy sleeper. No, oh, yeah. So is, so is my boy. Yeah. So she They just, love it Sid's risk, hey? I oh, swear. Newborns. So then I brought her. <laughs> just to add to the anxiety of oh my new, gosh. being a new mum. For real. So then I brought her. <laughs> mattress sensor when she started sleeping on her tummy because she kept yeah. putting her face down and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm never gonna sleep again like this is so bad so yeah it wasn't until maybe eight months she I felt confident that she was that she was all right all right What's the mattress yeah. sensor? it is oh, I can't think of the brand I just we just got to baby like bunting it? it was about three hundred dollars I think and it's just two pads that go under the cot under the mattress and you just turn it on and it sounds 
it basically monitors their breathing and it's so, so sensitive. You can't even have a fan on in the room because it thinks the fan is breathing. Oh, right. Like it's so, so good. And basically it monitors their breathing and if their breathing slows down or stops, it alerts you within 10 seconds. Yeah. So I felt like that gave us peace of mind. We got that within a week of her coming out of the cocoon. And... Yeah, it sounds this really, really loud alarm that goes off. Um, and even like sometimes in the middle of the night, she'd wake up and I'd pick her up and take her out to change her nappy and not turn it off. It goes mm. off like she's not breathing. So it was. Oh, right. Then you're like, oh my gosh. But yeah, really good. But yeah, the Cocoon Baby is my favorite product. Cool. And last question. If you could give one piece of advice to a mama about to embark on this journey, what would it be? I think don't take advice from anyone, really. Like a lot of people <laughs> love to time. tell you what to do. <laughs> Just do what works for you. Like every single journey is different. Um, obviously, yeah, when you're pregnant, everyone wants to tell you what they did in birth and what they did with their kid. And it's lovely and I know they mean well, but also – just take, yeah, to do what works for you, um, definitely, and don't, yeah, listen to anyone else telling you what you have to do. No. Um, and I think my other piece of advice is walk every single day, if you can, because I started walking, I think, when I was about 15 weeks because I stopped everything when I was so sick at the start mm. and I already had back pain. I was feeling like lethargic and crappy and I started walking for at least half an hour every day when I was about 15 weeks and I really think that helped me in labour and everything like it helped with my back pain, my leg pain, all the swelling and everything you get. Um, so that's my advice that you should take is to walk every day. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you so much for sharing your story. It was amazing. That's okay. Thank you for having me. Another beautiful induction birth. I love hearing all about it. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Megan. And I will tag Megan's obstetrician in the Instagram announcement next week. I have stalked her page and it is a very good Instagram page. So keep an eye out for that announcement. And I will see you guys next time on the show. Remember, Mama, you're everything that your baby needs and you're doing an amazing job. Mm-hmm.